Hi there. Welcome to Liquidation Preference, the podcast that discusses everything founders need to know about startup law and venture capital over a beverage of our choosing. I'm your host, Andrew Kusmal, and I'm glad you stopped by for a quick drink. Today, we'll be discussing how to incorporate your startup, the documents that accompany the incorporation process, and we'll touch base or we'll touch on how to structure your startup all while I enjoy an American light lager. So grab a drink, pull up a seat, and let's get into it. Today's episode is brought to you by Kusmal Legal, the law firm dedicated to helping founders navigate the legal process of starting, running, and fundraising for a startup. Head on over to kusmallegal.com, that's K-U-S-S-M-A-U-L legal.com, to read great material tailored for founders and get help with all your startup's legal needs. So when I was thinking about today's discussion, you know, last week I had a theme. Uh, this week, I think I feel the theme is pretty straightforward. Keep it simple, stupid. When it comes to this whole process of setting up your cor- uh, your corporation for your startup. Now, just like that theme of keeping it simple, you know, it's kind of one of the reasons why I chose an American light lager. Another reason is because like today's dis- discussion regarding these documents and this topic just in general, it's exactly like this beer. It's a little watery and lackluster, but it is essential for any get together or in our case, startup. Last week, I touched on the type of entity your startup should be and where you should incorporate. Today, we're gonna be talking about how to incorporate. There are really three methods to incorporate your startup. The first one is to do it yourself. The second one is to use an incorporation service. And the third is to use a startup attorney. Now, of course, me being a startup attorney, I'm gonna try to sell you right off the bat on using an attorney, more specifically a startup attorney to handle your incorporation. Because at the end of the day, it's gonna save you time and money. Now, when it comes to attorneys and saving money, I know that sounds a little bit like an oxymoron, but any good startup attorney or any startup attorney worth their salt knows exactly the financial situation that you're in when you're just starting out. And most of them offer incorporation services for a general nominal flat fee. They also handle these incorporations for startups day in and day out. So they know the process from beginning to end. They know exactly what information you need, or excuse me, what information they need and what documents your startup needs. And they can get it done a lot faster and cheaper than say another attorney who you know, handles like family law, but does some incorporation on the side. Now, if you find yourself in the situation where you can't find a startup attorney or an attorney who handles some incorporations to help you with your startup to get it off the ground, the next best option would be using an incorporation service. Now, there are dozens of them out there. I'm not going to list their names because I don't want to get sued or anything. But if you just a simple, if you just perform a simple internet search, like I said, dozens will pop up. Most of them are pretty good, and most of them offer different levels of services when it comes to incorporation for, you know, again, kind of like a flat fee, just like a good startup attorney would do. However, not all of them are tailored to startups. A few are better tailored to startups than others, so you got to do your homework on it. 
I've had many clients who've used these type of services before. And like I said, they're, they're good. They're not all the time tailored to startups. And I have to do what I call a post-incorporation review where I have to go through and add documents that are missing. Some of these documents that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit, these documents that are crucial towards startups, not towards like your general mom and pop businesses, which is what a lot of these incorporation services are kind of tailored towards. The last method or way to incorporate is just to do it all yourself. Now, this is the one that I highly advise against. When it comes to incorporating your startup, you you want to get it right from the very beginning. It's a very important process and it can cost you a lot of money. It can be very costly if you get something wrong. You have to come back and you have to pay someone like me or another attorney to correct the mistakes, spend more filing fees, just an added expense that, like I mentioned earlier, you can't afford at this early stage. Now that we've covered the three main methods of how you can incorporate, we're going to just kind of start diving into what documents make up the incorporation process and what documents typically accompany the incorporation process. The first one is called the Certificate of Incorporation. The Certificate of Incorporation varies from state to state, but all states kind of have a similar theme when it comes to what's needed on them. The first is the name of your startup, then comes the registered agent, the number of authorized shares, the par value for those shares, and the name of the incorporator. Now, if you're a first-time founder and you've never incorporated before, there's kind of a little bit to unpack there. So we're going to start off with the registered agent. The registered agent for your startup, it can either be a person or a company who has a physical address in the state that you're incorporating in. Say, for example, Delaware. Can't be a P.O. box or anything like that. The whole point of having a registered agent is for service of process, to be able to accept service of process, think court summons, official legal documents, official documents from other state or government entities. The registered agent can be either a person or a company. Sometimes it can be either either co-founders or, like I said, a company. There are various companies that offer registered agent services. For example, let's say you and your team are spread out throughout the uh, throughout the US and you're a Delaware corporation. Well, someone might not you might not have a founder who lives actually in Delaware. So what you can do is you can hire one of these companies to perform these registered agent services. Many of them charge nominal yearly fee to do that. Next is the authorized share amount. Now, this is the amount of shares that your startup can issue. In the beginning, I recommend authorizing 10 million shares and issuing only six to eight million of those to founders, co-founders. It's important to note that just because you're authorized to issue 10 million doesn't mean that you have to issue 10 million. It's important not to issue all those 10 million right away because it gives you room to issue equity early on to other important early key personnel, maybe advisors, maybe some investors, without having to go back and amend your certificate of incorporation to increase that authorized share amount. Now, this amount is always going to be increasing, especially after a round of financing. 
But at that point, you're going to have the money to be able to spend on an attorney to be able to update your certificate or amend, amend, I should say, your certificate of incorporation and pay the filing fee. Having to do this from the very beginning is, again, more cost than you can afford (laughs) right now. So that's why you don't want to issue all 10 million. Next is the par value of the shares. Now the par value is the minimum amount that you can sell the shares for. Now this amount needs to be super low. I'm talking 0.0000, that's four zeros, one cents per share. This is because it'll make it easier for the founders and other early employees or advisors to purchase or exercise their shares. It'll be a cheaper price. The last item there is the name of the incorporator. You know, hopefully this is your startup attorney. Uh, If not, it will be the incorporation service that you used or hopefully not, it would be you. Now that we've covered the certificate of incorporation, the next document is the action of the incorporator. Now, if you're in Delaware, this document provides the legal authority, consent, and company approval for all the actions taken by the incorporator to incorporate your startup. Very formal, but necessary. And it's also good to have because it helps get you into the mindset of following the corporate formalities of playing a corporation, let's say, because when it comes time to raising your first round of financing, maybe not your seed round, but like your series A, for example, your investors, well, their attorneys are going to be going through and they're going to want to see that all the proper board consents and shareholder consents are in place. This document is necessary, but it also helps you kind of get into that mindset of, okay, I need to make sure I have all these in place for any sort of big corporate actions or decisions. And a good startup attorney will be able to help you with all that. Next, the big document, one of a really big one, 20 some odd pages, is the company bylaws. Now think of this as the corporate rule book. It contains relevant voting rights and procedures and what constitutes a quorum, how to elect directors, how to appoint officers, and other various typical corporate (laughs) provisions. What it does is it takes the super dull and obtuse corporate law and just shoves it all down into a document and gives it for you to be able to, well, the only thing it's really good at is putting you to sleep. The next document is, it's it's a funny one. This next one is, it's really curious because it's the most important document to founders and it's the stock purchase agreement. Now it's the most important to founders because it represents their equity in the company. However, the funny part about it is it's the most overlooked. More often than not, if I have a client who's incorporated on their own, they're missing this document. If you don't have a stock purchase agreement, you and your co-founders have not signed one, then technically none of y'all own any equity in the company. Yes, you may have a little cap table that you built on Excel that says that you own 50 or 60% of the company, but from a legal point of view, no shares have been formally issued to you. Most of these agreements have a vesting schedule built in them. Now, I struggled whether I should talk about vesting schedules with y'all today, but I figured I should because it's it's very important and I'm going to try to give you just a high-level overview of it. In essence, a vesting schedule says that you need to stay with the startup for X amount of time in order to realize all your equity. 
aka the vesting schedule. That's the amount of time that you have to stay. If you leave before that period is over, well, then you won't be leaving with all the shares that were initially granted to you. Now, I'm not going to dive deep into the mechanics of how it works because that would require another round at least. But suffice it to say, the best way to think about it is is that it's a repurchase option that's held by the startup. And as time passes, more of the shares are released from that repurchase option. So the typical vesting schedule is time-based and it's usually four years with a one-year cliff. Well, you know, kind of what does all this mean? Well, hopefully this example will help you. Let's just say you're being issued 100 shares that's subject to that schedule that I just described. Well, what that says is that you need to stay for one year from the grant date, the date that you signed that stock purchase agreement, in order to have 25% of the shares, or in this case, since it was 100 shares initially, 25 shares vest, or to put it a different way, released from that repurchase option. After that, the rest vest usually monthly until you're fully vested. When it comes to vesting schedules, the most straightforward one, the most simple one is time-based. It's easy to interpret. It's easy to understand. You can do milestone-based vesting, but if you are going to do milestone-based vesting, you need to be super clear on what that is. You can't leave it open for interpretation because if there's any gray areas in there, then there's going to be a big argument on whether if somebody vested or not. And when I mean milestone-based vesting, I mean something of like reach X amount in sales or X amount in revenue. One final thing on vesting, and that is everyone needs to vest, including you. This is important because one, it puts everybody on an equal footing, and two, it helps manage the walkaway equity. You know, think of this scenario, it's it's a lot better for a founder, or, you know, one of your co-founders, to leave with only 5% equity versus, let's say, 30. When I'm helping clients incorporate, one of the questions I typically ask is, have you been working on any of this technology before incorporation? Most of the times the answer is no, but sometimes it's yes. And if the answer is yes, you're going to need what's called a technology assignment agreement. What this does is it essentially captures all that technology, that IP that you were working on before incorporation and transfers it over to the startup after corporation. In that same vein of technology and IP transfers, the document that every startup needs is the Confidentiality of Information and Invention Assignments Agreement. What a name, right? We call it CIIA for short. What this one does, think of it as like the Technology Assignment Agreement, but it captures all of the IP and the technology that was created after incorporation and transfers that over to the startup. It also contains standard NDA language, which should help satisfy that one paranoid co-founder that you have who's always talking in hushed tones when you go to happy hour to talk about your company or wants everybody to sign NDAs. If you remember from last week, I had a story about how a startup, how a funding deal for a startup fell through because they didn't transfer over the IP to the company. You know, this document, excuse me, this document is what does that. And it helps protect against future IP disputes from that now former paranoid co-founder who comes back into the picture several years later and claims that they own 50% of the IP. Because of those scenarios and what I mentioned last week and last week's episode, this is a document that investors require and one they want to see before they invest. 
The final document that accompanies the whole incorporation process is the Board Consent Act. Now, this just grants board approval for the incorporation, the issuance of the equity to you and your co-founders, and all the other steps needed to get your startup off the ground. Again, it's a corporate formality, but it's one that's needed, and it's also one that's going to help you, again, get in that mindset of documenting all this stuff, having all the proper board consents and shareholder consents. Now that we've touched on the documents that typically accompany uh, the startup incorporation process, we're going to finish today's discussion by talking about the remaining corporate structure items that need to be addressed in the beginning. And that consists of board composition and officer roles and titles. Now, when it comes to board composition, there are numerous books, articles, tweets, clubhouse chat rooms, what name you, on how to create the best board and how to maximize your board. However, the one thing that I found to be true about the initial board composition is that it needs to be small. And when I say small, I mean one to three board members at most, and it needs to consist entirely of the founders. In the early stages, you're going to be making fast decisions, and sometimes you need to pivot very quickly. And you don't want to be bogged down by a board member who isn't a founder, who's not aware of the day-to-day operations, and who's in another time zone to boot, and who also happens to be you know, in vacation on Aruba at this time of year. So keep it to the founders, keep it simple, keep it small. The next is officer roles and titles. Again, you want this to be very straightforward from the beginning. Delaware law requires that you have to have at least a president and a secretary. They can both be filled by the same person. Then you can have the CEO, the COO. Keep it with traditional roles and traditional titles. You know, no no silly titles or cheeky titles like chief meme officer, chief badass. You know, as cool as that sounds, you know what's going to happen when you're in a room pitching to investors. You know, you're going to be reliving that iconic scene from Office Space. You know, the one where it's the two auditors, for lack of a better word, are, I forget his name, but they're interviewing him basically about his job. And one of them says, what is it you say you do here? You don't want that to have to come up in a room when you're pitching investors. So just keep it straightforward, CEO, CFO, COO, things like that. You know, to wrap up here, you know, I mentioned earlier that the whole kind of theme of this today's discussion was, you know, keep it simple, keep it straightforward. When it comes to structuring your startup, there are a lot of trendy ways out there. Like I said, there's a bunch of different articles, you know, dual class shares, uh, superior voting rights, uh, preferred founder shares, things like that. It seems like there's always a new one every single year. The one thing about all these different trendy and flashy ways to set up your startup is nine times out of 10, they're not needed. Or, you know, at the very least, it's just something that's just too complicated and unnecessary for an early stage startup like yours. You know, to bring it full circle here with the drink that I'm drinking, you know, just like with beer, if you try to go with something fancy when it comes to structuring your startup, it's going to cost you more. Well, I wish I could order another round with you, but unfortunately, it's time to go. If you'd like to learn more about what was discussed today, head on over to my blog at kusmallegal.com. Also, be sure to follow me on Twitter 
at Tech Startup Attorney, that's attorney spelled A-T-T-Y, or on Clubhouse at Startup Attorney. I hope you enjoyed our time together, your beverage of choice, and that you learned something useful. More importantly, I hope you enjoyed this much-needed break from running your startup. Being a founder is stressful, and it's important to take breaks every once in a while. While you're always taking care of your startup, you shouldn't forget to take care of yourself. See you next time. Everything discussed in this episode is purely educational in nature and should not be interpreted in any way as legal advice specific to your startup. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's show and how it pertains to your startup or situation, please consult with your legal counsel.